0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're here, those of you joining in the live audience. uh, If you're coming in from the Zoom app, you can ask us questions, and we encourage you to do that by clicking on the Q&A box, the window icon, to bring up the Q&A window. And if you're watching us through Stephen's Facebook page, go ahead and put your questions and answers or comments in Xbox on that page. I'd able to join us and hope you will uh, join in on the conversation today. We have Scott Smelter from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Hi, Scott. How you doing? Hey, Drew. How are you today? Doing very good. And Jeff Smeltzer from XMPA. Hi, Jeff. Good afternoon, Drew. Good afternoon, Scott. And good afternoon to Noah. Yeah. And Noah, our web engineer, is with us as well today. So, guys, I feel a little bit of a rebellious attitude in the air. <laughs> revolution, political revolution. What's that all about?
1: What's our question for today, Drew? We got one this morning on that topic.
0: It sure is. Let me just go ahead and get that out. This question comes in from Jake, and it says, how should we view events such as the American Revolution, the French Revolution, etc.?" cetera, In the light of Romans 13, 1 through 7, is there any authority for Christians to resist the laws of an oppressive government which are not contrary to God's will, such as high taxes, forced labor, etc.? Good question, guys.
1: It is a good question. Uh, Let's start with reading the text. How about one of you
2: guys read that there for us? Romans chapter 13, and I'll just start in verse 1 there. And uh, we might also look at First Peter chapter 2 while we're at it. But here's Romans 13, starting in verse 1. Let every soul be in subjection to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. Therefore, he that resists the power withstands the ordinance of God. And they, with, they that withstand shall receive to themselves judgment. For rulers are not a terror to the good work, but to the evil. And would you have no fear of the power? Or do that which is good. And you shall have praise from the same, for he is a servant of God to you for good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God and avenger for wrath to him that does evil. Wherefore, you must need be in subjection, not only because of the wrath, but also for conscience sake. And then it goes on and talks specifically about uh, paying taxes and giving honor to the rulers and that sort of thing. All right. Now, suppose I
1: say that, okay, and like Jesus said, pay taxes to Caesar, and I'm not really down with the French Revolution and all the people getting their heads chopped off, but the United States Revolution, I mean, we've got hymn books. We've got hymn books that have, you know, like maybe America the Beautiful, uh, My Country Tis of Thee, or God Bless America in there.
2: Isn't isn't that something totally different? (laughs) So then what we would be suggesting is we have to evaluate how good the revolution is to decide whether we're going to be subordinate sub- in subjection to the government or not. How or maybe not even how
1: good the revolution is. How bad the government uh, oh, I do believe this is a great nation or, and has been a great nation. I'm worried about the direction it's going, but uh, not so much whether the revolution was good, but whether or not the revolution was ours.
2: Oh yeah. Well, that's true.
1: That's it, true. People always tend to think of God as being on our side. Uh, um, the uh, Nazis during World War II, the belt buckle with the swastika in the middle that the army wore around it, the swastika above it, it said Gott mit uns, God yeah. with us. Yeah. So in every war and revolution, uh, it's pretty common for people to say that God is on their side.
2: And we're not, I don't know that we're going to talk so much about going to war per se today. On behalf of your country, we're really going to talk about the idea of being right, objection to our country. But I'll just throw this out there since you make that observation, when we do get into the war question and whether or not Christians can kill for their government, um, the idea is often expressed well, we would just be fighting in a defensive war or in a just war. But both sides usually portray themselves as being in, in the right. And so you're going to have people on both sides being told by their government, uh, this is a good cause. And uh, so then then where does the truth lie? But let's talk about the idea of just, if I have a government that I view as oppressive, uh, mm-hmm. do I have the right to rebel? Do I have the right to lead a revolution? If we lived in the 1700s, would it have been right for us to take up arms against the, the British monarchy? Um, it, at that time... The colonies were subject to the King of England. Uh, there were charters that had established those colonies, and so it was truly a rebellion.
1: So let's read the passage you mentioned in First Peter. This is First Peter chapter two. Be subject to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or under governors as sent by him. For vengeance on evildoers, praise for them that do well. For this is the will of God that by well-doing you should put to silence ignorance of foolish men as free, not using your freedom for a cloak of wickedness, but as bondservants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king.
2: Who was the king at this time that Peter writes this?
1: Uh, I suspect that it would be Nero. And not the most honorable man of all time.
2: And, and not a man who is a particular friend to Christians, certainly. No. This is a man who was persecuted, well, that he was using humans, Christians as human torches in his gardens, for one thing.
0: And he's the one that introduced the Colosseums, the circuses.
2: Is that right? I didn't know that.
0: I think that's what I read just recently. Yeah, he, at least he's the one that put it on the
2: map, and everybody was enjoying it. And you can imagine now Christians getting this letter from Peter saying, honor the king, uh, obey every ordinance, and so forth.
1: You know, this is part of uh, a three-point submission text here. Mm-hmm. Says, citizen, obey the government. Servants, obey your masters. Wives, obey your husbands. And we, we, we live in a country where we not only have the blessings of God through Jesus Christ, but we live in a country where we have a freedom of religion recognized by the government, and we enjoy a prosperity. And and, and I do believe, we're, we're going to be saying some things today. I do want to clarify it. I believe this has been one of the greatest nations on earth. I'm really uh, disturbed that we're, we go farther and farther away from that. And when this nation falls, judgment will be deserved. Um, but there, we, we love liberty so much that there's a tendency for us to want to say, well, I'll obey the king as long as I decide he's a good king. I'll obey my master as long as I decide he's a good master. And wife, I'll obey my husband as long as he's a good Christian and does what
2: I want. Yeah, that's not what it says. It, it, it's even if your master, if you're a slave, even if your master is abusive, even if he's untoward, uh, obey him. And um, we mentioned already the ruler at this time is Nero, And to the wives, he says, even if your husband doesn't obey the word, he's not a Christian. He's not a believer. Well, that's
0: not. I mean, this this stuff's not fair, guys.
2: (laughs) And that's the problem. Too often, we want to decide what we're going to do based on whether or not we're being treated fairly.
1: The Roman soldiers, when Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two that the Pharisees had sent some of their disciples hoping they wouldn't recognize him, along with some of the Herodians, to uh, Jesus. And they tried to flatter him. They said, we know you're, you teach the truth. You're not afraid of anybody. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And, of course, what were they probably hoping he would do?
0: Oh, don't pay the taxes. We don't want to pay them.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they've got the Herodians there. They heard him say it, that, and so Rome will take care of this. Uh, instead, what was his answer in Matthew 22?
2: Render unto Caesar like, what is well first of all he asked for a coin yeah whose inscription is whose whose inscription <laughs> is on it yeah or is it Caesar so he says render unto caesar what is caesar's and unto god what is god's on his yeah. idea of whether something is fair or not you know we have a model about behavior when we're being treated unfairly and peter mentions this model in this context in 1st peter chapter 2 where he's talking about submission to government and submission to slaves and, and wives, even being submissive to disobedient, unbelieving husbands. And what is the model that is held up? It's in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. For hereunto you were called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. And then it goes on to point out, He did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. he's kind of the epitome of being treated unfairly right and if we're looking
1: for everything needs to be fair then we lose the sacrifice of Christ and we're responsible for our own sins
0: you know it's interesting that you bring that up Uh, many times I've I've said it myself but I've also heard that Jesus is very radical
2: yeah
1: but he
0: was not a rebel
2: no right good good distinction the
0: difference and he didn't go against the government he could have in fact, I like bringing him up. I like when he said to Peter, Pilate said, you know, I got I could put you to death or I could free you. And he says, well, you wouldn't even have that authority if it didn't come from heaven. Right. You didn't have that right to do that. So he wasn't even saying, no, you can't do that. He was acknowledging you have that right, but it comes from heaven. And then he says, but you know who's really guilty? Those that delivered me over to you.
1: Is A revolution be- in the New Testament. Is the revolution that takes place internally in a person who chooses to stop living selfishly in this present evil world, deny self, take up their cross, and, and follow Christ? That's, that's, a lot, that's, that's a the lot, change that the New
2: Testament calls for.
0: That, that's a lot harder because I can't gather a band with right. me to do this thing together. I got to do it myself.
2: Right. So we have a number of examples of people throughout the Bible who lived under governments that were oppressive in one way or the other. Right. But I want to throw out one example where God's people rebelled after a manner of speaking. And what are we going to say about that? And what I'm talking about is when they were subject to the Egyptians, to Pharaoh, and they... would could would it be accurate to say they, they resisted Pharaoh? They rebelled. I mean, Moses and Aaron brought severe plagues upon the Egyptians. I would say God resisted Pharaoh. Yeah. <laughs> um
1: Moses and Aaron come in and they say, you know, the people, please let the people go uh out in the wilderness to make this sacrifice to uh Jehovah their God. And uh Pharaoh says, Who is God? <laughs> yeah. It's not the people are rebelling against you. It's God said this. And he said, Why should I listen to God? And then he was given 10 reasons.
2: Yeah, I like that 10 reasons. At
1: the end of which, Pharaoh decided, and, and God had even told them that the original request was not to be let go entirely, but to go out. But God told Moses, In the end, he will send you out entirely.
2: Right, right. And
1: after the 10th plague, he says, Go, go. Would, would, was, it be, would,
0: would it be safe to say that? both Moses and the people, they really didn't want to leave
2: initially? Oh, yeah, if we were going to call it a rebellion, we'd have to say they were the most reluctant <laughs> rebels you ever saw.
0: <laughs> That's my point.
2: It's
1: its interesting how in in, in chapter two, they're crying because they're bondage. Then Moses comes and they say, oh, Moses, you're making it worse. And then they get out to the Red Sea. Oh, we, it would have been better to die in Egypt. Then you get out of the wilderness a little bit. And they're starting to remember how wonderful Egypt was. All that food for free. They were slaves. <laughs> you know, <it> was, <laughs> the horses were also fed for free.
2: And, and at the beginning of the story, Moses wasn't exactly eager. Oh, to This <laughs> This was a work of God. It was God's will. It was God's word. It was God's deeds. It was God's reasons, as you say, the plagues brought upon Egypt. Yeah. That was God's Let's word. go back to
1: 1776.
0: Um, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before okay, go you go, ahead, ahead, go ahead. I... Th- Okay, there's one thing, you know, Peter says what he said, but you know, it's interesting that Paul also said to Timothy, pray for our leaders.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: This again is in that same uh, Roman corrupt government, but it's interesting the way he says it. He says, uh, I urge that supplications, this is First Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions. But notice what he says they're asking for, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So there's your answer. I don't have a peaceful, dignified life. I, I, I could rebel.
1: Well, the thing is, it's simply saying pray for that. It's not saying march on Rome and, and, and kill the Roman soldiers and, and, and take Caesar off the throne or, or something. Or, or uh, you know, we'll take Cyprus and make it a Christian nation, and not let Rome in here. Uh, the they were to pay their taxes. They were to obey their laws. And you know, uh, coming back to like the American Revolution, uh, one of the big complaints was what taxation without
0: representation. representation.
1: Yeah. Now. Paul singularly had the advantage of Roman citizenship among most of of the uh, characters in the new Testament. Most people didn't have it, but Paul did. Um, Jesus was not a Roman citizen and most of the people hearing him talk were not Roman citizens, but he still said to pay their
2: taxes. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I was talking with somebody the other day and they were, they kind of seemed to have the impression if you weren't a Jew, if you lived in the Gentile world, then you were a Roman citizen. But, but no, Roman citizen was something that m- many, many subjects of the Roman government did not have. And
1: so they didn't. He have has care. a question here that we'll get to in a minute. Uh, uh, but let's. T- it's it's about submission to leaders like in Jesus day the high priest of Sanhedrin. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but let, let's talk a little bit more about this, particularly in regards to seventeen seventy six and think about this. Uh, The idea of liberty. um, Have we enjoyed great benefits from the liberties in this country? Certainly. Sure. I I think we should be thankful for that. And I wouldn't say that uh, God could not have or did not have a hand in helping uh, to let events transpire that help bring about the great liberties that this country has. God And God has used nations to punish other nations in the past. But when you start looking at what was done, um, I've got a friend, I've got something to tell it's going to take about a minute or two, but before I start, let me see if you two have anything to say. Uh, before I get started on that, but I want to give a little history lesson that I learned recently.
2: Well, just real quickly on the idea of liberty. I, I love living in a free country. Our country seems to be becoming less and less free. I'm, yes. I'm concerned about that. But here's the thing we don't have to live in what is considered a politically free country to be free. Right. In, in the first century, you were mentioning the people who did not have Roman citizenship, did not have the benefits of Roman citizenship. And yet, Jesus could say in John the 8th chapter, And verse 36, if therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Because in verse 34, he's talked about being uh, a slave of sin. And you can be free from that sin. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, for freedom did Christ set us free, free from sin and from the death that is the penalty of sin. Here's the thing. Just as in the first century, Christians could be free, even if they were under the thumb of an oppressive ruler like Nero. We can be free, even if we're living in a communist country, and we don't enjoy right. the political freedoms that we would like to have. That needs to be our priority.
1: Listen to this verse from First Corinthians chapter seven, verse twenty-two. He would, that was called in the Lord, being a bondservant, is the Lord's freedman.
2: Yeah, yeah. That
1: didn't mean that he could run away. In fact, you, you recall uh, Onesimus is sent back to Bilemon doesn't mean he could run away, doesn't mean he could overthrow his master, but there's a freedom in Christ. So the, the principles of Christ, the, the command to love God and love your neighbor, uh, including your enemy, uh, the principles in the Sermon on the Mount, those are to be followed whether you live in communist Soviet Union, you know, in, in the 1930s, or whether you live uh, in Iran, or whether you live in France, or whether you live in uh, England during feudal days, or whether you lived uh, in in the Roman
2: Empire. So, which should I be most concerned about? I mean, I I'm I'm politically conservative. I like small government. Uh, but which should I be most concerned about? Convincing my friends and neighbors that we need to vote for leaders who will give us smaller government, or convincing my friends and neighbors that they need to be made free from their sin in Jesus Christ. Yes, absolutely, it's the yeah. app- Scott, you had a story you want to tell us.
1: Uh, yeah, this is just a little bit of a history lesson. I'll, I'll make it fairly brief. Um, but I- as you mentioned before, each side always thinks they're right. And, you know, we grow up hearing about the injustices of King George and different things. I've got a friend of mine here. He is, he's rather a King George fan. He is, uh, he's got an old cabin, or it looks old.
2: Which King uh, George? Which King George? King George III?
1: He's got, he's got King George over the fireplace on this side and the other King George on the other side. Huge, almost life-size paintings. Uh, well, maybe not quite that big, but he's a reenactor. for, for He reenacted one of the British generals. Okay. Uh, and he did a history day for us, and he pointed something out. He said uh, the, uh, England had been paying for the protection of the colonies for years and years and had made the mistake of not having the colonies have to pitch in on it. And so they had been providing the defense in the French and Indian war and and ongoing things. They're spending a lot of money providing defense for the colonies. And it finally got expensive enough. They decided, okay, we got to start doing something here. And then bam, they started imposing taxes. We didn't like the taxes. And uh, one of the things they did was they, they would inspect, you would get a manifesto of what's on the ship and then taxes had to be paid. And then they told the uh, uh, Navy ships, if you catch somebody smuggling, that you can impound the ship and all the goods, which was a big incentive, of course. Uh, and there were just lots of people who were sending stuff out. They lied on the manifesto. They're not wanting to pay the taxes, and they got all those out of the cargo. They're losing. And he said one of the biggest smugglers was John Hancock. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> Uh, so there were some very there, There's some there's some heroic men, some brave men, uh, and, and admirable attitudes towards freedom. Because even in the colonies, some colonies had religious freedom, some didn't. <laughs> Pennsylvania and Rhode Island were noted for religious freedom. Massachusetts and and Virginia were not. Uh, you could be you could be fined for not attending the Church of England. Two Quaker women were sentenced to be to be hung. It didn't happen, but in Massachusetts, we ended up with a constitution that does give a very good system of government. But that doesn't mean back in the first century, we might have said, "Oh, but if we rebel against Caesar and don't pay our taxes, we could elect Paul." As that's not what it was about.
2: So you, you kind of you kind of gave us a picture of looking at things from the English viewpoint. And, and that's different than what we normally hear. And then somebody could come back and legitimately make this point. In the early 1700s, if you were living in England, if you wanted to be, have a government uh, a job, if you wanted to be an officer in a corporation, in, in some instances, if you wanted to run a business, you had to take communion in the Church of England at least once a year. And you had to confess uh, a loyalty to the Church of England. And of course, a true Christian could not do that. And so you can see, then you could make the argument: well, these were people who were being religiously oppressed. And so the counterpoint to your friend's viewpoint—that that was in favor of kind of a British perspective—but that's all beside the point. Right, right. I have the to point think is. The, the principles
1: of Christ apply a person in England could have loved God and loved their
2: neighbors. And he might've suffered for it. He might yes. not have been able to have the job he wanted to have. He might not have been able to have the income he wanted to have. Yes. And he might've had a hardship, severe hardship, but, yep. but sometimes we're going to have to recognize being a Christian may cost us something. There's that passage in Acts the fifth chapter, verse 29. Uh, when And this kind of gets to Andy's question. Um, so in, in the first century, uh, in Jerusalem, even though the Romans are in charge, they had allowed the Jews self-government within a certain, right. To a certain degree. Right. And the San, I still say Sanhedrin. And I remember the incident where we learned it's actually to be said Sanhedrin. (laughs) Yeah. And it made a big difference. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, uh, this was the governing body, the Jewish governing body. Of course, the high priest was the highest official in Judaism, and there was civil authority there. And these guys are telling Peter and John and the apostles not to preach in the name of Jesus. And Peter says,
0: I have to obey God before I can obey
2: man. You must obey God rather than men. So surely it's true, yes, it's true, that when whatever authority there is, whether it's a just purely secular authority or whether it's some kind of authority like we're talking about in Jerusalem where it's a religious-secular combination authority, if they require something of us that is contrary to God's will, contrary to what God has said, we have to obey God rather than men. But- okay.
1: So now I decide my government is spending some money in some ungodly ways. They are, they've spent money to... Uh, Abortion. Pass legislation and publish, you know, uh, the results of that and everything that now, you know, homosexual marriage is legal. Uh, They have, they've made abortions legal. Mm -hmm. There has been, since my government has spent money in ungodly
2: ways,
1: I have the right to not pay any taxes
2: (laughs) because... It would be supporting God rather than men. So, who is going to argue that the Roman government didn't spend money in any ungodly (laughs) way? But there's another side to Andy's question, though, and it looks like we've got more coming in. But here's this: What if it is a kind of a quasi-religious government? That that what if I'm living in a Muslim country and there's a Muslim government or something? There's an interesting statement that Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 23, when he talks about what the scribes and the Pharisees do, and they sit on Moses seat. And he says in verse three, all things, whatsoever, therefore, whatsoever they bid you, these do and observe, but do not you after their works. for they say, and do not. It sounds like there's an acknowledgement there that these guys who are, that yes, they're religious leaders, but they also have some political power, and you, you're subordinate to them. To what to what extent you can, without disobeying God's will, submit to the powers that be? Yes,
1: and and so we pay our taxes. We're not responsible for making sure that Nero, you know, isn't having you know uh, midgets killed in the in the Colosseum. We're not to go to the Colosseum. We're not to participate in that, and. In our country, and this gets to what Chad just brought in, in our country, we do get to have a voice. And so we we can try to change policies, but that doesn't mean that we have the right to refuse to pay the taxes. Chad says, great discussion, lots of great principles and points. One thing in this conversation often doesn't get discussed enough, in my opinion, is the fact that we don't live in a monarchy. By design, we're blessed to live in a representative republic. Therefore, while we are committed to obey the laws, we also, as citizens, have the ability and power to influence laws. As Christians, I find it very important to be a voice for reason and wisdom and know and influence our representatives to do the right things. I've been blessed to get to know all of mine, thankful for those relationships. Trust me when I say that we as Christians don't use our voice, those who hate Christians certainly will.
0: That 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 put that puts it to the other side that comes up in my mind, because I've heard uh, Christians say that they're not going to get involved with voting because it's a kingdom of this world, and I'm not going to get involved with it, and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Is,
1: what's that? And if, if Paul had been given a chance to have a voice, not be heard, but have a vote and have a voice as to whether or not um, – you know, people should be being murdered in the Colosseum.
0: What would Paul have done? He would have exercised his
2: voice. Did Paul ever use his citizenship or appeal to the law for good? Yeah. Couple Let's of, have a couple of couple examples. Yeah, yeah. When he's when he's first arrested in Acts chapter twenty two, and then more famously, perhaps when he actually appeals to Caesar. But I'll I'll pull up the passage in Acts chapter 22 20, uh, when he's arrested. And they're going to examine him by scourging, which means they're going to beat the truth out of him, find out, find out what all the commotion was about in the temple. But Paul said, "Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman?" What,
0: what, what verse? You in
2: this is Acts chapter twenty-two and verse twenty-five, and he says, "Is it lawful for you to scourge man who's a Roman and uncondemned?" And earlier in Philippi, um, when uh, he had he and Silas had been arrested on trumped-up charges and then the, the, the government, the city officials are going to try to just send them away quietly and kind of get rid of the problem. Paul holds them to account, and he says, no, 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 you beat us publicly. You're not going to send us out the door quietly without owning up to, to what went wrong here. So, yeah, I would say, if I would think it's true that if Paul had a voice and could say, I vote against uh, killing people in the Coliseum, he would have done so.
0: And if we, I like the, I like the, t- the last sentence that uh, Chad put in there. Trust me when I say that if we as Christians don't use our voice, those that hate Christians certainly will.
2: Well, here's the thing, though. Then I've heard some people say, "So, as Christians, we have an obligation to vote. And if you don't vote, you're doing something wrong. You're not, you're not fulfilling your obligation as a Christian." What do you think about that?
0: Well, I don't know about having an obligation to vote. We have a right to vote.
2: If somebody is
1: conscientiously opposed to it, I wouldn't tell them that they should go against a conscience and vote. And and Jesus does not have politics in mind when he's talking about uh, you are the light of the world. But being the light of the world, we need to represent teaching Christ. And in various ways, we may have an opportunity to be an influence for good. Uh, The other day uh, in a basketball game at the gym, a uh, fight broke out and one fella attacked another fella. and I didn't hit the guy or anything, but I, I pulled him off and, and I held him. I said, I'll let you go. When you tell me you calm down. He said, I'm calm. And I let him go. And I I, I talked to him, I asked him to apologize. The other guy, he did. I talked to him about, you know, you could have been charged with assault and, and different things. I'm, I'm trying to be an influence for good there. I'm not going to say that somebody else would have sinned if they didn't do the same things by any means, but all sorts of circumstances in which we find ourselves, we can try to be an influence for good. Yeah. And if I live in representative government, and uh, there, and, and some things are just our political preferences. Yeah. But for instance, like the legalized murder of children in the womb.
2: Yeah, abortion
1: should not be. No. And when we have a chance to express a vote that can affect that, that's an opportunity to at least stand up for what's right.
2: Now, I vote. Let me make that clear. I vote. Um, but, But here's the thing. When we talk about using our voice for good by voting... Let's not forget that we're not voting for policies; we're voting for people, right? Who often don't enact the policies that they ran on. Yeah, and 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 they're mixed bags. They, yeah. they may be maybe sincerely, or maybe for political purposes, they may be taking a position here that we think, well, that's good and right. right. He says he'll oppose abortion, and then over here they're doing something that's utterly immoral. Right, and right. and you know, and so. Yeah. It, it, when, when you when you step back and you look at it, yes, if I have an opportunity to do some good by voting, let me vote. But the fact is, the people that we're electing, especially in the world as it is today, very often, um, I'm not going to accomplish nearly as much uh, with my vote as I am with my personal example, my character, yes. how I treat my neighbor, my priorities uh, in the kingdom of God. And my prayers. Um, So I I think that just to put things in perspective, we're not going to change this country by voting at this point. And usually
1: who we vote for doesn't do all the things that they say they're going to do. Drew.
2: Yeah.
0: Back to you had made a statement about uh, the uh, politics and discussing it. Rick came in with a comment. Some people say that Christians shouldn't discuss anything political. What's your thoughts on that? I think you've already started talking about it is that, if we can use it as an opportunity to teach the truth, we can talk about it.
1: Well, yeah, and you can, we don't, we're not limited in our lives of just talking about the Bible. When you're at work, if you're an engineer, you're going to talk about engineering projects. You know, if you're a mechanic, you're going to be talking about, you know, what that, uh, you know, B6 over there needs. But if you like
0: football, football, you're going to be talking about your football team.
2: But the integrity with which you talk about, at work when you talk about the engineering project and whether you're sweeping something under the rug because uh it's going to cost us a lot and quick let's not let's just do this without telling anybody right right the integrity with which we do our job we're going to make a difference in in this world
1: right right and and in a neighborhood there may be a discussion you know there's a petition to either put a freeway entrance there or not and you know if 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 we think it's a good idea or a bad idea, we may talk with our neighbors about that. That, That's not evil, but that should not, if if people know us mostly for everything other than being a Christian, then maybe we need to stop and take a look at what image we're putting.
2: That's interesting. Let's drive that point home. If my friends and my neighbors know, for example, oh, he is a strong Republican, but they don't know He's a Christian. Oh, you go to church. I didn't know that.
0: You're <laughs> a believer,
1: really. Never
2: yeah.
0: Excellent point. Now, Nancy
2: Would brought Would not up, have guessed
1: that. <laughs> uh, oh, oh,
0: and he's a preacher, too? <laughs> now, speaking of preachers, Nancy brought up this point. Do you think that preachers could be too political in the pulpits? Yes. Speaking, speaking of three preachers here.
1: Yes, they can.
0: Yes, they can.
1: Yeah. Um, I I don't think it means that he could never mention
2: anything that uh, I I think abortion is a national shame. And and I'll go so far as to say this. I I, I believe the Democratic Party is characterized by pro-abortion and pro-homosexual, a pro-homosexual agenda. You really can't be a Democrat and be opposed to the homosexual agenda and be opposed to abortion. Um, so I'll, I'll say that, but the, the thing is here to, to Nancy's point, do you think that preachers can be too political in the pulpits? When I get in the pulpit, what am I, what am I preaching about? Am I preaching about a, which political party to be for, or am I preaching about what's wrong with abortion and homosexuality? Right. right. Amen. That's
1: and, it. And, and, uh, I'm also, uh, politically, I'm, I'm a small government conservative like, like you, Jeff, but, um, and I voted in the last election. I actually voted in the last election literally with a clothespin on my nose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, simply because it's the Supreme Court. But
2: I, we have a
1: president right now whose behavior and, and – and I don't want
2: to be associated with that. It's, it's – and,
1: and it's, it is indefensible. It shouldn't be defended.
2: And he's not the first one. You know, you know, in the 1990s, when Bill Clinton was president, and he was engaged in a lot of in sexual immorality. And some of us were were saying, you know, this is terrible. And others were saying, well, well, but he's doing a great job. And now the shoes kind of on the other foot, we've got a guy from the other party, who who maybe is doing things politically that the people who are upset with Clinton, they like what the current president is doing politically. But now they're willing to overlook the, the character issues. Uh, you know, we, we need to be a little consistent, but let me make this point in, in our preaching, this goes back to Nancy's comment about preachers being too political. If we're bringing people out of the world to Jesus Christ, we're going to be bringing people out of the world who are Democrats. We're going to be bringing people out of socialists, socialists. And, and in many cases, they are going to be people who don't, they're not particularly politically astute, and they don't understand what right. socialism means or right. what the Democrat Party stands for or whatever. That if I get in the pulpit and I'm preaching one political party over another political party, right. I, I am missing the opportunity that I have to build these people in their knowledge of God's word and bring diverse people together in Christ. Truth matters, morality matters, the word of God matters, but I need to teach that rather than starting out saying, "Well, you can't be a Democrat or you can't be a socialist
1: and and why could, there there are socialist countries why uh, why couldn't a person live in a socialist country enjoy the benefits of their uh, I would prefer not that to be here, but there's nothing in the Bible that says that it's immoral to have the government provide a lot of services and tax the people very high.
0: There's an anonymous comment that just came in and said, sometimes you're voting by not voting. Maybe both parties in a local election are putting up a number of bad candidates and you can't vote for any of them in good conscience. Yeah. Exactly what you were addressing before, Scott. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we, no. need to, we need to be preaching a message so that we're united in Christ and we're united in God's word. We're united in truth. We may not be united in our politics, but if the politics take a back seat to everything else in our own minds, then, then that's all right. We cannot be united in politics just like we're not united in the kind of car we drive.
1: Yeah. Here's a, let's come back to our relationship to the government in, in, in general. I want to read a passage and have you two comment on it. Uh, In Acts chapter 16, Paul, a Roman citizen, has been beaten without a trial. And uh, during the night, he's baptized the jailer uh, and his family. But in verse 35, this is Acts 16, verse 35, when it was day, the magistrates and the sergeants, uh, excuse me, the magistrates sent the sergeants saying, let those men go. The jailer reported the words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent forth to let you go. Now, therefore, come forth and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men that are Romans and have cast us into prison. And now do they cast us out privily? No, truly, but let them come themselves and bring us out. The sergeants reported these words to the magistrates and they feared when they heard that they were Romans and they came and besought them. And when they had brought them out, they asked them to go from the city. And when they, they went out from the prison, they entered in the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Thoughts on uh, Paul's uh, decisions and actions here.
2: Well, this is what I was talking about earlier, where um, Paul used the, the the law and what was proper under the law uh, to his advantage here and to the effect of... of Defending his his reputation and his integrity. I mean, he is here as a preacher of the gospel an apostle of Jesus Christ in Philippi. And he, his character has been besmirched um, with the charges that have been brought against him publicly. And now they're trying to sweep it under the rug and just kind of dismiss him quietly. And he says, no, no, that's that. That you're not going to get away with that. Right. So, so, There's a case where he did use the political power that he had, the right he had under the government to uh, make sure that his reputation uh, amongst people he'd been teaching in Philippi was not left in doubt.
0: Uh, And I think there's a key point there. The reputation also among people that weren't Christians that saw this happen as well.
1: Right. I believe that Paul Uh, had a right and an interest in, for instance, in Jerusalem, when the Romans are going to beat him. And he says, I'm a Roman citizen. And so they don't. Good. He he did the right thing. It was smart. But I believe there's probably even a bigger picture here, because as you said, Drew, the, the influence in the community. If Paul, who, and he's helped, they've helped start this small church there in Philippi. If the last public event before he leaves is, there's been a this angry group gets them drags them uh and then they're beaten publicly and thrown in jail and then sent out of town what what flavor for lack of a better word does that leave in everybody's mouth about how that little church should be viewed right yeah
0: they're they're looking down upon them these these guys are good they're troublemakers yeah
1: and so I suspect that part of the reason Paul does this is not only he had been wrong, but this was not right. And for the benefit of, right. of the exactly. Philippian church, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to leave town where you got beaten like run out of town on a rail. And it's another thing where they have to realize this was wrong and they bring you out and acknowledge it. And, and they realize we ought not do that. It reminds me, Jeff, of when you took a stand for something in a school down in Virginia. Yeah. They didn't want to admit it, but they, they, they decided to change their behavior.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And we've got another comment here real quickly that, that I, I'm glad Dana Whistler brings up. And it's in this same context in this very context where uh, Paul and Silas have been arrested and beaten. There was a jailer who was in charge of their, they're keeping who was keeping them in custody and this is the story of course where uh the earthquake comes and the jailer thinks his prisoners have escaped and he's about to kill himself and paul shouts out uh do yourself no harm we're all here and the jailer springs in calls for lights and behold the prisoners are all there paul and silas could have escaped their bonds were you know broken and um so he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I wonder if that jailer hadn't been aware of the teaching of Paul and Silas in the city previously that gave him the inkling that they had some message about salvation, and now he's become impressed with their God. But nonetheless, uh, he takes them and washes them, and they're baptized, sets food before them, and then apparently puts them back in jail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Dana says, could you discuss the Christian jailer? Putting Paul back into prison. And we don't know exactly how that went. It could have gone like this. Paul and Silas said, well, now, you know, we really need to get back into jail until we've handled all this, uh, you know, legally or whatever. And the jailer saying, oh, no, I, I don't really feel bad about that. No, you, you, that's your due. You need to put us back in. We don't know exactly how that went. But the fact is they went back in. they went back in jail. But I, think,
0: I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense because when, the, when he turns the light switch on, they're still there. He didn't run away. He didn't yeah. escape from prison. And yeah. the reason they went out was to for the, to further teaching and
2: be
1: baptized. And.
2: But uh, there's an, there's a connection here to our, our, responsibility under the government. Scott, I think that's where you're going.
1: Yeah. And I want to give you a, another end of that bookend on a lot of biblical topics. Uh, bookends. So don't go past here. Don't go past there. Kind of like, and oftentimes bookends will not be in the same place because they're holding the books. Uh, what? Here, they go back. <laughs> Let me just explain that real quick because that didn't make sense. If, if you are talking about money, On the one end, does the Bible teach, if a man won't work, neither shall he eat? Yes. On the other end, does it say, don't worry about what you're going to eat and drink. God will take care of you. Yes. All right. So in between there, you know, if you're a bum and and just mooch off other people, you can like the one, but you go past the other. where you're, You're not working. Or if you're a workaholic, you can say, hey, I want to make sure I eat, but you're going past the other. So in between there. So here's the other end of the book, in 2 Corinthians 11. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, guarded the city of the Damascenes in order to take me. Through a window was I let down in a basket by the wall and escaped his hands.
2: Yeah, yeah, good.
0: Okay, we're, guys, we, we're past time, but you know what? We got one this question. This yeah, last question. we
2: got to get to this one.
0: This last question is the bookend.
2: <laughs>
0: it comes down to the wire on the actual discussion we're having. And it yeah. Stephen. He says, would the actions of the founders of the U.S., fine King George, etc., be considered sinful?
1: Yes. They were refusing to pay taxes, and they were rebelling against the king, so yes.
0: Yes, that was... You have examples in the scriptures where men... Did sinful things, but God used the events and the actions to accomplish his will.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So good could good could ultimately come about as a result, but it was wrong. And we couldn't do it if we were there.
0: As Christians.
2: Yeah. And it doesn't mean that
1: they were worse men than some of the men back in England. I believe in many ways, many of them were better men and good men. You know what? It It doesn't mean what they did was right. Are there
0: any, is there anybody who's not a sinner
1: Jesus, no,
0: besides Jesus? None. None whatsoever. All right. Guys, we all had a good discussion. I really appreciate everybody that tuned in today and came in for the live discussion and gave us your comments and questions. We invite you back again next time, next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Have a great week, everyone.